feminist peace research is something where the author has freedom and right to define his or her own uh, feminism. Showing to the world, you know, what wonderful, brilliant research there is beyond the usual suspects. We didn't agree all the time, and that's what a great feminist project is. But the important thing is to accommodate those differences, to learn from them, and to not, like, kind of, uh, you know, always impose. It will be the end of the project of feminist peace research when we stop wrestling with, it, with each other, with our consciences, uh, and, we, and, and think that we have it right. This is Opinion Peace Podcast, and my name is Lajana Lazic. One of the first episodes of the Opinion Peace in 2019 was a conversation with Annick Wibben about piecing up feminist peace research. Since then, several aspects and themes of feminist peace research and analysis have been discussed in the podcast episodes with Swati Parashar, Elise Ferron, Helen Touquet, Philip Schultz, Jamie Hagen, and Daniela Lai. Today's episode weaves those and many other threads of feminist peace research and analysis together to open a conversation about what peace research is and where it could or should go. My guests on the podcast are editors of the soon-to-be-published Routledge Handbook of Feminist Peace Research, Tarja Varunen and Elise Ferron from the Tampere Peace Research Institute in Finland, Svati Parashar from the School of Global Studies at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden, and Katja Cecilia Confrontini from the Wellesley College in the U.S., now, this episode is a bit longer than usual, but it is chock full with golden nuggets and points to ponder and think about. I personally immensely enjoy the intellectual nourishment of this conversation, and I hope you two will find it inspiring and thought-provoking. Some of you have already been on Opinion Peace. Some of you are here for the first time. Welcome, and thank you for, for joining me this Friday. Uh, late Friday afternoon uh, for a conversation about this fantastic handbook. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking quite a bit how to how to start this because I have so many questions. But let's just start with with the most obvious, something that that is very peculiar, and that is the title of the of the of the book, which is a feminist handbook of feminist peace research. So it's not about feminist contribution to peace studies. It's about feminist peace research and feminist analysis of peace, justice, and violence. And that might sound or might look like at first as a, as a, as a matter of wording, but I think it has a, actually quite a significant, quite significant political and conceptual consequences for for the organization of the book, but also for the way the handbook is undisciplining, if I may say. So uh, the the mainstream peace studies, how it's how should I put it, disturbing the, the the conventional understanding of peace, violence, and justice. So would you tell us a bit more about it? Like, what's your take on it, and and what was the aim? Was that the aim behind the handbook? So let me go here because this is something that I've been thinking a lot, and I'm sure my wonderful colleagues will add to this. Thank you, Slajana, firstly, for doing this podcast and for inviting us. And I speak on behalf of uh, all of us that it's a very exciting opportunity to reach out to a lot of our colleagues and people who will listen to your wonderful podcast. I have been on it before on peace studies, again, post-colonial reading of peace that I remember. So that's actually a great question. And I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the others will have things to say. But I think the idea is definitely, the idea was to, to, to take cue from a conventional peace research, to not just kind of push it aside and say that we're doing something entirely radical and we don't need to look at what's already being done. I think we uh, do give uh, all the work before us the due respect that there is a lot that has gone into peace thinking into peace activism, into peace research. But for us, the main goal was that we wanted to take those conversations further because we felt that we were in a moment of doing peace research uh, without actually having some clear conceptions about where we were going. So in some sense, you could argue that we felt that peace studies has become very stagnant as a peace, uh, as, as a peace research field. 
And I think in some sense uh, that explains why this team is so diverse. And I think people uh, uh, will appreciate that when they read the handbook, that uh, it's, it's also reflected in the editorial board. So I want to specifically mention that we thought of uh, peace studies in terms of violence, justice and peace, right? At the intersections of it, how do we construct uh, ways in which we know, uh, you know, we know the world and how we can do better. But I just want to, uh, before I hand over to my colleagues here, I want to emphasize that the idea of critical feminist research had something to do with our idea that uh, there are multiple versions of peace, right? There are multiple ways in which we understand violence, and there is a lot a uh, lot of those kinds of violences, if I can use the plural there, that we have left out in our understanding of peace. We have been, for example, so focused on war, so focused on transitional justice in terms of, you know, uh, violent conflicts that we have left out, you know, uh, key themes like famine, for example, or inequalities or poverty. And we wanted to center all of that in this project. Uh, so with this, I, um, yeah, I wanted to just kick off the conversation with this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was, uh, Swati, a good uh, starting point. Um, personally, since I come from um, Scandinavian peace research tradition, so my other leg is there, although I was trained also in the, in the UK, um, I think if there is a lot of in, in that peace research tradition which is worth uh, rediscussing or worth uh, rephrasing. And uh, that tradition which I would like to keep um, there uh, has to do with the multidisciplinarity and uh, or even transdisciplinarity of peace research. And when I'm thinking about my own institution, which is Tampere Peace Research Institute, um, over the years, or, or actually at the very beginning of the institute, which was 50 years ago, we were established 50 years ago, we had historians, uh, uh, we had sociologists, uh, political scientists, um, we have had people from even from natural sciences, so that multidisciplinarity is something which I think is also reflected in, in the title. Yes, if I can take up on this, I think that one of the, the things that we wanted to do was to um, go beyond the traditional understandings of peace and conflict studies, which are overly dominated by um, IR, political science in particular. And uh, I think this is reflected both uh, in the authors that are included and that include also activists, artists, um, and so on and so forth, and also in the topics uh, that we had included. And as Swati was saying earlier, I think we have tried to pay due respect to uh, you know the traditional topics uh, in peace research, although we haven't covered all of them, uh, this is something that we acknowledge. But we've also tried to cover some other topics, which would be not the usual suspects, so to say, um, in a, in a handbook uh, of peace research. Although here again, I, I, uh, when we discussed it afterwards, we we thought about other topics that we might have included. For instance, I would have loved to have something about the human other species kind of relations or uh, having um, uh, one chapter on artificial intelligence and how it's applied in conflict and migration, for instance, uh, field. So there are many other topics that we did not include that are maybe not uh, traditional peace uh, research topics. Uh, but I think that the idea was really to break down the barriers and also trying to look at uh, peace research from the margins as well. So trying to move the margin to the center in terms of what has been centered uh, traditionally uh, in, uh, in um, peace research. Uh, one other thing, um, and this is Katya, and I want to thank you again, Slajana. Uh, for I think that I can speak for all of us when, we, when I say that unlike other handbooks, this is not the end. This is not a summary of everything that's going on because 
there is much more that's go that's going on. It's the beginning of a conversation about what peace research is or should be about feminist peace research. This, the beginning of breaking down these boundaries and exploring courageously, inventively of what, what are the issues that where a feminist insight on justice and peace would contribute to or would disrupt, would, uh, would innovate on, would see differently. That this is just the beginning of the conversation is also visible from the structure of the book because each uh, of the themes has an introduction, but there is uh, there's a general introduction to the whole uh, the the whole handbook, but there is no conclusion, which is also very symptomatic and and is actually signaling that the, this is not just closing the conversation; it's just opening the conversation and, and waiting for feedback. So it seems that there is a lot of that, that there has been a lot of thinking behind structuring the handbook. As such in accordance to your politics and and practice of, of research. I think that Swati and Elise actually started the conversation and, and, and put together a, a framework. But that and that was the start, the start of then multiple revisions, which I think reflected also really the how lengthy a good feminist collective decision-making process is, but how also how worthwhile and also fraught with pitfalls and mistakes that we made along the way and we keep finding them. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, Elise and uh, uh, Katya, particularly on, on, on uh, themes that we uh, uh, also excluded and we gave it much thought, but we realized that we had to prioritize. And as Elise says, there are some things that we left out. I for me, I thought, uh, as someone who enjoys uh, watching sports, I thought we left uh, left out sports and peace, and you know, there's, it's a very gendered space too. But you can't cover everything, and I think knowing the limitations of having a handbook on of this kind, where we still, I think, uh, when you look at uh, Routledge handbooks, I think we far exceeded the number of chapters that uh, you usually find in a handbook. Um, going back to the question of, uh, you know, having these multiple conversations about what makes a good handbook, I must say that uh, I was very uh, deeply grateful and also touched that the team here invited me because, I, and I want to say this specifically because I have always been uh, associated with violence research and, you know, I do work on conflict in, in a way. But my own, in my own world, in my own understanding, I am not a conflict researcher. I, I cannot study violence without understanding processes of peace and how they both mutually intersect. When I think of the continuum of violence, when I study peace uh, in, in that sense, when I, when I have continuously argued that you need to tell different stories about war because you have to bust the myth about war being a normal state of affairs. So in my mind, in my work, I have always spoken about peace, but because I did not situate it in very conventional peace study spaces that I am, I, I've never been part of those conversations. So I think the, the strength of this team is precisely this, that we came from so many different positions and we, uh, we, we, may, we enriched it, I think, in some ways. I wanted to go back to the issue of uh, the structure of the book. It may look that, okay, this is rather conventional, but on the other hand, I think the, the articles and chap chapters as such are not necessarily conventional. We invited and asked the, the authors to kind of uh, uh, use innovative approaches, quote uh, post-colonial literature, and really rely on the most innovative research they have done themselves. So, so there is that element. But of course, when you are editing a handbook like this, I think it's um, obvious that you have to think about the audience as well. And, and we particularly, of course, because we are all teaching, uh, we had our students in our minds. So we wanted to offer uh, our students uh, the experience of seeing something happening in, in the book, uh, some traditional elements, seemingly traditional, and something innovative, which goes beyond the, the kind of standardized version of peace research and peace and conflict studies. I also have to say that 
to speak of the difficulties. I can't, I don't know why I'm, I'm trying, I'm focusing on the difficulties of this process because it, it's really hard. And if you do it right, you, you will still know what you did wrong. I, at least that's how I am. When we received the, the first drafts of the chapters, there were a lot of our authors that went back to what they thought peace research was, even when they might not have known a lot about the scholarship, they tried to insert the usual names, the usual concepts. And part of the process of editing for us was really be courageous. Don't go for what you think peace research is. Go for what you think peace research is for you for or, or where it should go. You don't need to cite the usual suspects. If those for you are not relevant. And to me, that speaks not so much of individuals, you know, frames of mind, but the power of the discipline or the field to discipline us as scholars. And we want it really to move uh, beyond that. Perhaps a way to better understand the philosophy and the process behind the, the handbook. Uh, it's important to, uh, you know, recall how we started and why we started the handbook. The handbook originated in the Feminist Peace Research Network, which was initiated by uh, Tina Vaitinen and uh, Tarja Valurinen here um, in cooperation with uh, the universities of Lund and of Tromsø. Um, and uh, we started having these workshops um, and uh, where, where we were meeting with people from different horizons um, and also people at very different stages of their career. And I think that's also very important and it's also reflected in the handbook that we have very senior people, you would say like the, you know, the big names in, in the field of feminist peace, but we also have like emerging young scholars. And it is really something that we wanted to do. It's not something that happened just by chance. This is something that we designed, that we wanted to have not just a, a fair geographical representation. And I think that's important also, uh, maybe we will come back to this, that we have a lot of contributors from the Global South. And we also have a lot of young uh, scholars, uh, early career scholars, um, beyond also, as I said before, some artists and people with a different kind of background. And I think that's, uh, that's really something that uh, we, I think, all four of us, we are really uh, interested in doing. I am personally tired of, you know, when you write a journal article, people ask you to again and again quote the usual suspects. And I think that one of the things that we are trying to achieve with the handbook is, you know, showing to the world, you know, what wonderful, brilliant research there is beyond the usual suspects. Yes, I agree. Having this diversity of authors and the topics and unconventional topics, if I may put it that way, gives a certain dynamic to the handbook. It's a lengthy book, but it's very dynamic to, to read it. Since we talk about feminist peace research and feminism, and uh, you talk about a, the you know, critical feminist agenda for critical feminist peace research, and feminism is normatively and, and even explicitly interested in, in emancipation and uh, critique as well. So I was wondering what kind of, if we're talking about this new agenda for critical feminist peace research, what would be the non-critical feminist peace research? As you may have noted, uh, we did not go into the direction of, of uh, uh, quantitative research. I would, I mean, I, I, it would be a, a misunderstanding to say that, well, that, that is something which cannot be critical or that that is something so traditional. But um, I think what we did, we, uh, we um, said to the authors and that you can define your own feminism as you wish. So we, we didn't want to tie our approach to a certain type of uh, feminist theorizing or feminist action, uh, feminist practices. So rather keep it keep it very very open. 
and uh, we didn't uh, want to kind of say that, well, this is critical feminist peace research. This is critical theorizing. This is right kind of action. So, so that may be for us then uh, um, kind of led us to think that, well, uh, critical feminist peace research is something where the author has freedom and right to define his or her own uh, feminism. Yeah, everything that Tadia just said, but also conceptually, we wanted to uh, uh, recognize that uh, peace studies is not the conventional peace studies that, that we have seen. As I said, with due respects to the work that has been done, that we need, needed to break boundaries. We needed to go beyond what was already there. But here there's a very interesting point. One is to serve as an, uh, serve the important purpose of critique. And I think we do that throughout. Uh, in, in fact, one of the questions early on that we debated was, you know, how could a feminist peace research uh, handbook have a large section devoted on violence, whereas you could have, you know, the entire handbook devoted to violence, right? So just giving that much space here. So I think we engage with violence more in terms of critique about what has been silenced and what we feel, uh, you know, are the issues to be brought in. So in some sense, I would say serving the purpose of critique, but to also think ahead in terms of breaking those conventional notions of peace and feminism and the dichotomies that have been at place. And here I want to also mention that peace studies has a lot of has had a lot of history of feminists being involved, right? It's not, uh, you know, it's not that we are entering into a foreign terrain dominated by men. Yes, dominated by white men. Yes, often cited. A lot of the women colleagues are left out and, you know, all the good work on the ground has been excluded. So in some sense, we offer that rich critique that is necessary by uh, foregrounding those voices that are not here, that, that are not usually cited. But for us, the project was also that uh, we we uh, we were thinking also in terms of giving uh, due credit to all all the women who worked on peace research before, but also to to take it further and to uh, to critique to critique some of the essentializations around gender in traditional peace research. You know, whether it is maternal thinking, whether it is you know old uh, uh, conventions of you know uh, war and peace as as these fixed boundaries. So offering critique, moving ahead with uh, with new ideas and new thoughts, and to uh, give due credit and to recognize that a lot of good feminist research has been left out of uh, the canon building around peace studies. One other thing is that. The existing quantitative peace research is in a different category than what we are doing, because the existing quantitative peace research is, or they call themselves peace science, does not have a normative goal, does not necessarily take the position that peace is better than war or justice is better, better than injustice. It's more modeled around along the positivist sciences, the positivist uh, social science uh, branch of social sciences. This is we do not identify with that. We identify with the explicit feminist goal of emancipation, which is where we think the peace studies and feminism come together. Now, what that what emancipation means might be different, and it's a moving target. <laughs> And that's why we wanted to be open to also the voices that we, we might, there might, there might be a lot of silences and a lot of exclusion and violences that we don't know about. And hence also one more reason to have this, the beginning of a conversation on the end and that open project rather than a state of the art, this is what it is kind of thing. Just want to go back to uh, to the initial question. I mean, the the question of speaking about critical feminist peace research is not about saying there are some types of feminist peace research that are not, not good. I don't think this is what we had in mind. What what we had in mind was rather to try to encourage self reflexive and mindful you know, feminist peace research. So it's not about saying um, 
what you're doing is right, what they are doing is wrong, but rather about, you know, encouraging the authors to locate themselves and to think about the field and to think about their, for instance, citation policies and, and you know, to think about um, how they, um, you know, refer to certain topics and, and, you know, I think Swali and Katia also mentioned earlier and, and Taya, to um, encourage them to, uh, to be innovative, to be creative and don't be shy, you know, about what you're doing, you know, really pushing the boundaries forward. And perhaps uh, I think in our project and, and how we defined it, one important element was uh, ethics. So, so meaning that the the authors uh, locate themselves uh, in a way or another, and often that the authors also recognize the privileges they might have, and also uh, that the research process itself is a process of power. It always involves uh, um, power. So recognizing that type of things and also a kind of acknowledging uh, uh, the, the possible vulnerabilities of, of the so-called research objects or, or our informants. Uh, so that, that was element. And I think that kind of locates the project into the tradition of critical research. Thank you. I, I really like that at least that you uh, pointed out that critical is also being self-critical because that's also what you are actually pointing so many times in, in, in the handbook, this constant need for self-reflection, for, for reflexivity, for being mindful about the positionality and situatedness and to understand both the feminist research and feminist activism as, as relational and as embodied, uh, as embodied in action, as embodied in knowledge and uh, in commitment. Uh, what is also very much visible is the care and the comradeship, the friendship behind it. And that can be seen in the ways that you also hear, the, the way you relate to each other, the way you talk about the, the research, also the care with which you read the, the author's chapters and the way in which you introduce them. So I wanted to ask you a bit about walking the talk or... Because you you also talk about uh, in uh, at one point in the in one of the introduction you do mention that this handbook is also feminist peace activism. So how it is to walk that talk in today academia neoliberal academia, if I may ask? How do we practice care feminist care uh, in such a context? What has been your your experience in that regard? Difficult and full of mistakes. That's what I can say. Um, it is true that we have developed friendships that, that for me are really lasting and, and meaningful. Uh, but it's also true that some bridges have been burned. It's not that we wanted to burn the bridges or that I wanted to burn the bridges, but in the process of seeking to act in feminist ways, we have made a lot of mistakes, and um, and for that, I I think that personally, I have a, a big regret there. But I also want to say that for every single chapter that we read, and with particular attention to junior people, graduate students, or activists that we're not accustomed to writing for an academic publication, the care and the time that we put in editing those chapters, painstaking, and the, and the care and the time that our authors put in numerous revisions, or at times stepping in as co-writers, secondary co-writers, or co-writers when, uh, well, when the going got tough. Um, was incredible. The authors really put in a lot of work and the and time, and that meant also delays, you know, multiple versions and iterations, endless uh, editing, a lot of work that I don't that I I don't think I've seen. Well, I don't I don't think I've ever done more than any, as hard work as this one really. 
emotionally, you know, and the from the emotional point of view as well. Yeah, I just want to second that because I think uh, this did take a lot of work. But a couple of quick things that uh, to uh, to point out: you talked about neoliberal academia, so it's very it's not rewarding to write book chapters and handbook chapters, and we all know that these are not recognized as valuable, you know, in your portfolio when you submit for promotions or you want to build careers. So. It is important to put that up front, that when people accept to do handbook chapters, they are committing to uh, going against the grain of you know, what, what is academia like. And I think in that sense, as Katya aptly captured, that our contributors were so committed. They came from outside academia. They are not all IR uh, scholars. They come from, they, they are all, they're intergenerational. They are uh, at different stages of their careers. They come from different parts of the world with, with uh, problems of their own uh, in their own personal lives and in, in the political commitments they have. So I think it's important to recognize uh, that, that reward that we feel that it was a rewarding experience that uh, they came together and participated. I also wanted to go link the whole thing to uh, you know critical feminism, critical feminist uh, research, peace research and feminist care to also pointing out that one way of care is to recognize difference. And I think I say this at various uh, places. I also spoke about this Sletana at that conference that uh, I talked about four annoyances in uh, peace research. And of course, I talked about being dominated by white men and you know the whole um, uh, local. I, I talked about rescuing the local from the global. And I think in some sense, our effort here has been to um, to rescue the local or local in quotes from our impulses to, to, to universalize, right? We have this. We have theories for even the local. Uh, we, we have uh, this turn and that turn. And we kind of know, I talked to my colleagues here at Kassenberg where we have a very vibrant peace and development program. I'm actually part of the peace and development program. And you know how big uh, it is in Sweden and in the parts of the world that we are uh, talking about. I find it interesting that, the, you know, people as academics, they seem to have answers to everything. You know, there's there's a one size fits all strategy that everyone knows what's happening in Rwanda now and what's happening in Sri Lanka and uh, what's happening happened in Bosnia or Bangladesh, whatever. So I think this kind of certitude, if I can call it, this certitude is violent. This certitude in academia, in anything that we do. So I I call it the violence of certitudes, and I think we have rejected uh, that uh, attitude. We have we have challenged it very successfully in the work that we have done by challenging all kinds of universalisms. And in this context, coming back to the point that Katya makes that made that we we didn't agree all the time, and that's what a great feminist project is. Some of the chapters frustrated us, we frustrated the authors, they got upset with us. I mean, those are things very natural in a big project. But the important thing is to accommodate those differences, to learn from them and to not like kind of, uh, you know, always impose. And I think we resisted that. And I think we were very, very successful. Uh, even now, I am uh, taking the liberty to disagree with Katya that, you know, we, we burn bridges. I don't think we ever fully burn bridges. We just, uh, we just grow out of it. You know, there are some situations that are overwhelming and we come back to things. We, we forgive, we move on. So I take the liberty to disagree here. But I think we've done a good job and I was so, so privileged to be part of it. Thank you. Just want to say that I fully agree with Swati. I think what I um, what <laughs> what really uh, what I really remember about this process is the wonderful. Of course, we disagreed at times. Of of course, you know there were disagreements with the authors and on the direction on our constant demands for you know <laughs> revising the chapter once again. Of course, it was complicated. But I mean, what I to me, it's a feminist project in the sense. In, in in the way it was uh, implemented and and in the when one of us was not available another one took up uh, uh, you know the, the the task that had to be done and uh, there was so much solidarity and friendship and also so, so much support from the office themselves I mean so much enthusiasm you know uh, from the office uh, and I think we've been nourished as as well you know by this enthusiasm and the, and this 
these expectations also that, that they were putting on us. And, and I think it's uh, in, in that, you know, what I remember is, is, is really this, you know, this kind of, uh, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, kindness, but be, being understanding, you know, to, towards uh, each other. And I think this is something that even when we disagreed, as, uh, as what he was saying, I think there was still understanding. You know, I understand that you might not agree with me. And I think this is, um, this is uh, to, me, to me, this is what I will, uh, um, you know, remember of this process. Yeah, I think uh, what was also rare, since you mentioned the neoliberal university and the kind of atmosphere we are living living in, there was a lot of collaborative work here. I mean, we did a joint writing of, of the intro, introductory chapters. Uh, we did joint editing. There was a lot of that kind of collaborative work, which is which is not that often merited in the neoliberal university. It's something which is rather rendered invisible. If it might be there, but it's rendered invisible. Or, of course, there is a, the type of work which is done in in solitude and where you compete against your colleagues. That was something we didn't go into at all, actually. So it was it was a wonderful and rare project in that sense. I, I agree with with what you say, Talia, and I really truly appreciate Soti and Elise for what they said and urging me to see also how through this this was a difficult project, difficult in the process itself as well, but. We went through the difficulty is, and we came out uh, with really the friendship strengthened for for it. But I think that it's also important, and and I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, there is a, a quote in a, a really fabulous book on religion, which, by the way, another topic that I think that we underplayed in the in the handbook. A wonderful book on religion and IR. It's called um, Wrestling with God by Cecilia Lynch. And there is a passage in which she says that uh, Christians, and I'm paraphrasing, um, talking about the Christian's ethic, Christian ethics in the West, and its relationship with IR, the constitution of the state and, and Christianity in the West. And she says that Christians have gotten it wrong uh, on issues of peace and social justice, oftentimes, but the consequences are particularly serious when they have stopped wrestling with God, with the ethical questions in their own consciences, and then they think that they've gotten it right. And that speaks to the reflexivity of our project. And I think that it will be the end of the project of feminist peace research when we stop wrestling with, e with each other, with our consciences, uh, and, we, and, and think that we have it right. And I go back, I go back to Swatis, the certitude is will be the end of us of the project. In the in the handbook, there are some of the some of the concepts that are very often mentioned are peace and with justice, uh, intersectionality, post-colonial encounters, decoloniality, queering, peace, violence, justice. Uh, so those are some of the main concepts that are tossed around and they discussed in different ways in different chapters. Also, epistemic and slow violence, which is not often discussed within when we discuss peace and conflict studies. There are five sections or five teams. Uh, the, the, chapter, the handbook starts with methodologies and genealogies section, goes through politics, power, and violence. The third one is institutional and uh, social interventions to promote peace. Then body sexualities and health. And the last one, global inequalities. So I would like to hear from you a bit, a bit of reflections about the how you choose which of the teams you're gonna you're gonna cover. Was there any any particular favorite among these? Not that I will tell anyone, just all the listeners. Yeah, I think um, the others can answer this better. But I think when Elise and I were planning, we did uh, think about you know obviously putting genealogies right there up front, so we know that we are you know taking into account the good work that has already been done and the capture the main debates that that feminists have 
provided us with uh, to think through and of course the methodology so that was important but i think um, and and uh, uh, the conversations we had over violence politics power and violence section was really interesting because this came up again and again that having an entire section devoted to violence and power at the cost of if i can say traditional topics like uh, conflict transformation or peace building or maybe i'm, I'm i can't uh, really point out maybe others can but we did uh, ignore some very conventional pathways to uh, to understanding peace and we chose violence because for us uh, violence uh, was understood along that continuum of war and peace and we wanted to foreground that in many ways uh, in fact if you look at the handbook almost all the chapters address that continuum in some way or the other so even though uh, my own chapter with camila my colleague is in the uh, in the section on inequality when we talk about famines and slow violence we are actually talking about violence right and we are talking about how that violence is ignored so i think that section we uh, had some debates about and obviously we had to talk about uh, institutions as uh, such massive sources of uh, conventional uh, doing uh, you know peace uh, doing peace on the ground but perhaps not doing it in the right way and to offer some some of that critique particularly when we think of uh, the big massive industry around women peace and security or peacekeeping or some of those uh, kinds of un approaches uh, and uh, then, of course, uh, health and inequalities was important. But but I just wanted to flag off here how important it was to 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 discuss violence uh, and how important it was to uh, point out the continuum, the tensions that exist when we imagine a large project like this. And I think that is going to surprise a lot of people about how we managed to do that. And the tension when when our efforts to increase justice and diminish violence actually produce more violence. I think that uh, peace research really deserves something we try to do here, which is expand the notion of violence. We uh, we are so stuck with the idea of structural violence, overt violence, uh, and possibly cultural violence. But adding, adding or expanding the notion to to include epistemic violence and slow violence, I, I think, <laughs> I think uh, we did uh, uh, we did uh, a great thing here, showing that there are these other forms of violences and and they belong to the continuum of war and peace, and and then that and that there are in important consequences when we think through that type of concepts. Yes, and if I may add on uh, on this, I think the, um, also, at least for me, and the way I understand the handbook is also to foreground the idea that feminist peace research is not about specific issues. I mean, we can do feminist research, do quotation marks, feminist research on anything. And we can have that approach, we can apply that approach or, you know, approaches or those approaches, uh, broadly speaking, to any topic. And and um, because I think that in, in a way, um, I mean, when you look at uh, what is being produced, and here I'm, maybe my, my co-editors co will not agree with me, but um, I mean, when you look at what is being produced over the past decade um, in let's say, conventional peace and conflict studies. I mean, the topics seem to be really, really limited to um, uh, some specific um, uh, situations of, uh, uh, you know, high-level violence, intensive violence, and, and also, you know, epistemologically being violent towards over, you know, uh, types of uh, situations and violence which are excluded from our thinking about peace. And, and the way I understand the handbook is precisely trying to show that it's not about, you know, just, it, it's not about the, the, the most um, high intensity conflicts in the world. It's not about discussing, you know, necessarily transitional justice. It's that as well. But I mean, it's also about everyday issues. It's also about mundane issues. And it's also visible in, I don't know, we have a chapter about yoga, for instance, and the body. Uh, uh, we, uh, I mean, the, the chapter of Swati and Camila is wonderful about famine and discussing slow violence and so on and so forth. And because 
for instance, when, when we think about famine, we tend to, uh, and I think this is brilliantly demonstrated in uh, Swati and Camilla, uh, Camilla chapter, we, we tend to think about these as, you know, being uncontrollable, that the, you know, the authorities couldn't do anything about it. And, and then I think that a feminist research approach precisely critically highlights the fact that it's not true. I mean, the, the way we, we um, externalize those events as if we, we you know, as if governments, uh, institutions couldn't do anything about it. And so to me, to me, the, the, the philosophy or the, the, maybe not philosophy, but to the approach behind the, the handbook is really to break down those boundaries, you know, that, that um, exist in, in conventional peace and conflict studies. And to add what Elise just said, I would like to say that we also uh, challenge the, the traditional notion of, of a peace researcher, the one who goes some dangerous place out there and studies that uh, overtly violent society which is located somewhere out there. Uh, so we wanted, uh, wanted certainly to shake that typical image of what it means to do research and and uh, and who and what kind of kind of figure is a peace researcher yeah and precisely also who is the peace researcher right and there are chapters that really question that notion even like um the shine choi chapter on everyday the everyday, how the everyday is conceptualized in research and how different it would be when we think about it in a feminist way, how the everyday be becomes the site of knowledge and critique of, the, of knowledge at the same time. We start from and we get there. Um, or Mpumi Motlafi's chapter on the subaltern. And I'm not, I don't want to single out chapters, but it, to me, this discussion bring out particularly those chapters because they speak to who is the authority uh, on peace research. And another thing that I wanted to highlight, that to me collectively, we might not have written it, but to me collectively, these chapters speak to the feminist notion that the, when traditional peace research too often posits peace and justice as goals intention, I'm not saying that they're never intention. They might be intention, but there is, for feminists, there literally there is no peace without justice. Literally, peace and justice are inextricably linked, and and e even though they might they might instantiate in the world with some tensions. I I think if if I can quickly add to that, I think the idea of justice is so critical to the work that we've done here. And I think that is our critical feminist, uh, also uh, critical feminist insight, because um, I think in most, uh, uh, most, most of the chapters here, you will find through uh, the, with violence, when we talk about violence, we talk about we, how we have to dig deep and all the chapters do that and how we have to hold people accountable, demanding reparations. So we talk about restorative and reparative justice both throughout in one form or the other. I mean, going back to the example of famines, just because I wrote it, simply that, you know, not only is there a human agent involved in, in perpetuating, perpetrating that violence, that it's not lack of food because of which hundreds and thousands of people die, but that somebody needs to be held accountable and uh, you know it's been called uh, starvation crimes and hunger crimes and now that discourse has set in about how it can be even called a genocide but i think the idea that uh, for for real peace to prevail you really cannot think beyond uh, the, the a reparative restorative framework of justice and i think we have tried to capture that here do you have any like a favorite chapter chapter by Shine Choi is my uh, favorite too. I think it is also one of the first chapters that I read and I like it very much. Uh, but I also am really, um, I, I also like my own chapter because it provokes a different kind of thinking as far as I'm concerned, but I really like how I was thinking through that. I, I really like Motlafi's chapter on the subaltern. Uh, I don't know you, <laughs> you know, uh, because the chapters are also so different from each other. Some of them are, have a, 
high kind of theoretical ambitions and and some are more practice oriented so uh, actually that was that was a very good part of editing this kind of handbook because you get to kind of you get to know so many different ways of approaching things and you you get to know so many different ways of writing uh, about these issues so um i don't know it, it was actually editing was um, although it was very tedious and time consuming but it was a pleasure in the sense that uh, when for example my colleagues here had uh, left me a message email normally uh, late at night which I'm, I'm not working late at night so anyway but in the morning I the first thing I see is a message that well Tarja you you might uh, need to read this and that chapter and I never knew what I can expect from that chapter so it was always very interesting to kind of oh yes yes sure sure I will do that so different chapters yeah uh, yeah, something I can say is that I've learned lots, and but really, really a lot. I mean, in terms of content, in terms of approaches, also uh, in terms of offers, because uh, and this was one of the objectives of the handbook actually to uh, to uh, as I said, we had this um, citation politics that we were encouraging offers to quote the non-usual suspects and to also quote offers from the global south and uh, women and minorities and and so i also you know came across lots of very interesting uh, references that i had never heard about and i think it's it's uh, always uh, for, for me personally it has been very very enriching and one thing i would say that elise's chapter was is one of my favorite too just i want to shout out uh, but I also, to extend what Elise says, it's not just about including for the sake of it, it's not stirring, adding and stirring, but really how thinking through those, uh, through this, how different people might, will help us rethink the field, how different sides, starting from a different vantage point, not the usual suspects, make us see a different field altogether. So if, if you are about to start the continue, continuation of this project and having this experience of the last year of COVID, what would you prioritize? What kind of teams you think you, you, you would prioritize? Of course, global health, a lot bigger uh, space. And I have to say that we thought about it in this in this handbook, but it was very difficult to get people on board, except T Tina Vitin is uh, one of the person that initiated the whole thing. And the person that is writing about it, she just didn't have time to write a chapter for us. Uh, but there aren't that many people that make that connection right now on global health and peace research, one. Second, religion. And religion because willing whether we want that or not it is a it has been a source of strength and support but also in these times for many people and uh, those are the two topics that i think i would like to explore more thematically i think um, all of what uh, you said katya very important but also the notion of survival what do we mean by i don't want to use the word resilience because i don't like it very much but uh, survival you know everyday negotiations of uh, what does survival mean i mean in a repository of inner peace or is it something external is it what what is the meaning of survival in that sense? So uh, perhaps for lack of a better word, I would stick to that. Yeah, as for me, I think I would um, be interested in um, looking at more, more technological issues, like because we see how much you know the in, in multiple ways. For instance, in how. Uh, technologies are uh, very important, are getting more and more important in everybody's lives, you know, um, in terms of, you know, how they spend their days, you know, stuck at home and, you know, uh, looking at screens all the time and, and so on and so forth, but also how technologies are very important and what, and what kind of inequalities they create in terms of access to vaccines. So I think that this is something also that uh, peace research, conventional peace research has not been looking at much, you know, the, how our, our lives are increasingly shaped, 
by uh, technologies and that uh, we haven't been thinking this through and this is I, I in my view in my view this is uh, one of the regrets i have in terms of topics that we haven't included in the handbook and i think this is something that we should uh, include in the future maybe not us but that you know feminist peace researchers take up i would i would be um, interested in having more on on indigenous peace building and indigenous knowledge production and also in in relation to that co-production of knowledge which i think would be an important component there um since we have there a, a, a chapter on on feminist methodologies it would be also interested uh, interesting to reflect on for example online ethnography things like that, which I think COVID-19 led many researchers, uh, forced many researchers to learn that type of um, methodological skills and approaches. And of course, I cannot, I cannot formulate a, a research topic, but human uh, and more than human interaction. Thank you. I made it a custom to ask every everyone on the podcast about the most recent book uh, that they read that made an impact on them or that made an impression. So I wanted to to extend that question to you as well. Braiding Sweetgrass, talking of indigenous approaches, it has really made me think, rethink how uh, it has, it, it's so applicable to peace research and to social sciences and the sciences um, uh, Robin Kimmerer does a fantastic job at explaining how we would live and do things, even including science, differently if we saw our different worldviews not in competition with each other, but as enriching each other. And I really highly recommend it. In fact, I think I'm going to write a piece on translation using. Uh, her book as a point of departure. One of the books I really enjoyed is actually a book which has been co-edited by Swati, um, so uh, by Swati uh, Parashar and Jane Parpant, which is called Rethinking Silence, Voice and Agency in Contested Gender Terrains. Uh, and it's it's a book I really, really enjoyed because I think it uh, questions the, the issue of silence and how we've been picturing silence and how silence can also be empowering. And I mean, I've been I've been uh, really interested in uh, how we um, um, in, in, in social sciences in general and peace and conflict studies uh, in particular, how much we value interviews, for instance, and how people share their stories. And, and I think that this book made me reflect also upon that and about, uh, upon how uh, we really need to think about other ways to uh, capture uh, individuals' experiences and that, you know, voicing is not necessarily, you know, the, the way to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, congratulations, Swati, on, on this volume. It's really awesome. So my my book is, this is a, a South Korean author, and the, uh, her name is Han Kang, and the book is called Vegetarist. And, um, and uh, this is really a powerful novel about, about several things. It's a, it's a novel about power, uh, refusal, uh, body, uh, embodiment, uh, uh, art, um, a novel um, about so many things, but extremely kind of condensed and, and, and appealing because you, you get very deep into all those effects and emotions uh, that are there. And the language is extremely beautiful. It's such a beautiful language she has and she's able to use. So, so wonderful. It is a wonderful book. Thank you for that question, Slajana. I think we have forgotten to ask ourselves the, what gives us pleasure and what we are reading. It's always about what we write and what we produce, right? So I will sneak in two books here. One is um, Coolie Women, 
This is a book that is about uh, indentured labor, uh, Odyssey of indenture, indentured labor, uh, where, so migration is so much the topic these days, but we forget that in colonial times, people migrated and what that migration did. And this is a fantastic piece of work documenting Indian migrants to the Caribbean by Gaitara Bahadur. And she writes about, of course, um, her own family, her grandmother, but it's a beautiful book about how uh, women who traveled, traveled with their religion and with their cultures and how they negotiated everyday violence. I mean, there's a lot of violence against women here, insights that you get about how violence travels across, uh, you know, across the oceans. I mean, there's, there's a lot in this book about migration that we are forgetting, that we, we think that it's all happening now, but people have moved before. And the book that I am absolutely shaken by these days is this... Um, book called Aghora, the at the left hand of God. And this is by Robert Svoboda. And this is um, uh, this relates to my own interest in theology and religion, and particularly Hinduism and Buddhism and a bit of Sufism that I want to read. I'm very interested in religion. And that's the turn that I want my research also to take, to understand the dichotomy of secular religious, and particularly with things happening in South Asia. But this is a book about uh, Hindu traditions, uh, you know, the Tantra traditions are very popular. I mean, Tantric, Tantra is very popular in the West as something that liberates the mind and body through certain kinds of practices. There's also liberating sexuality. Uh, we talk about certain kinds of yoga, which is very liberating. And it's, uh, it's, it's considered a very unorthodox. Uh, that's why it's, it's supposed to be the left part, the, the, the left part of seeking that kind of uh, revolution. So Aghoras are actually a community in India, and they actually eat uh, meat, which is very contrary to the religious traditions. And they, uh, you know, they practice all sorts of tantric, uh, you know, things of uh, meditating and on corpses and meditating in the cemeteries. I mean, it's a dark, 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 dark world. And to me, that dark world is fascinating because here uh, they talk about, this book talks about this dialogue of what that means. I think we live in dark times. So somehow I got attracted to this and uh, I've just, I'm really shaken by this book in terms of the capacity, the unlimited capacity of the human mind to imagine a world which is outside, uh, you know, our imagination, our world, which is, uh, you know, in relation to the divine, in relation to ourselves. There are so many limitless possibilities. Thank you. Thank you. Great. And at the very end, is there anything that I haven't asked you about the handbook or the feminist peace research? I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of, of topics that we haven't covered or plenty of the aspects of the chapters in the handbook and the, the feminist peace research in general, but something that you would really like for the audience to actually take out of the book for this conversation? In these times when there is so much feminist backlash, right, everywhere, and I think that is one universal threat, one universalism that I will accept, that there is this notion that feminist work is meaningless, gender uh, scholars and activists are being targeted everywhere. There's increased violence against, uh, uh, you know, gendered bodies, if, if I can use that term. I think in these times, this book is not just for peace researchers. It's for everyone. It's for activists. It's for artists working uh, along intersectional feminism. It's for people who are feminists. It's for people who are, uh, you know, fence sitters who are uncomfortable with uh, the idea of feminism. And it's for those young colleagues and friends all over the world who want to discover the world of feminism because uh, they feel that there is something in it which might end up, uh, you know, uh, rescuing our worlds, our different worlds. Uh, so I think this book is for everyone. And we want to re-emphasize, we are very sorry about the cost of the book and the whole production process. Uh, but there are various ways in which, uh, you know, people can access uh, chapters and, uh, you know, all of that. But we want to just say that this book is for everyone. So please, please do request your institution, especially those that can afford it, to, to buy the, this book, those who can afford it, and share. The more important thing is if you have a copy, if you, if you can just pass it around. This is a labor of love, and we would like this to be shared. Thank you. Yeah, um, I would like to add that something that we've not talked about uh, today is um, that the book, I mean, contrary to most feminic, feminist books, 
it's not a book just about women or violence against women. And it's a book that is trying to be intersectional and also to break the boundaries and the binaries also, uh, like the gender binaries. So many of our chapters, you know, sometimes it has been at the initiative of the authors, sometimes it was us pushing the authors to, you know, decenter the feminist, uh, the, the women's perspective and have a truly justice-based feminist glance uh, on, you know, their topic, you know, really, really look at um, the issue through a, fem a feminist ethic, which is not about, you know, necessarily centering always the, the needs of women, but centering the needs of individuals, regardless of how they identify, you know, in terms of gender or sexual orientation and so on and so forth. I think that the, the, the book in that is, uh, is really different from uh, uh, most of the literature that you find uh, in feminist studies, uh, which tend to still be largely women's studies, if you want. And, and in, that, in, in that book, although of course there are, there is a lot about you know, women and violence against women and so on and so forth, there is also a lot um, on violence against LGBTIQ people. Uh, there is also a lot about uh, intersectional approaches to, uh, to all of these uh, peace research issues. And I think that really makes the book different you know, from what is currently on the market, so to say. I'm I'm very happy that you found time to for this conversation. Uh, this was this has been a great pleasure for me, also re reading the book. And I'm I'm looking forward to for a continuation of this conversation, uh, in one way or one form or another. And I agree that Swati, what you said about the sharing, and I think that doing podcasts is one of the ways of of sharing. There's no paywall, and that's one of the ways that we can actually expand the audience and, and expand these discussions outside of the ivory towers of, of neoliberal academia. So thank you again. Thank you for having us. This was great fun. Thank, thank you. you. You had wonderful questions, really the, the, uh, to the point. We will continue this conversation. Yeah. Uh, thank you. My name is Ladina Lazic and you've been listening to Opinion Peace Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and find this podcast useful for your ever-expanding peace imaginations and ponderings, please consider supporting this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you're getting your podcast. Until next listening.